Well, good morning, Hope. Usually, I, I, I'm one to, to jump into to prayer and then, and then hop into the message, but, um, you know, w- w- there, there are going to be times throughout our world and our culture where we all need to get equipped and be made aware of events that are, that are taking place without continuing business as usual. Um, today, is, today is one of those days. Now, as many of you are aware, between yesterday and today, the Hamas terrorists have now killed over 500 Israelis, resulting in Israel officially declaring war on Palestine. Now, this is, this is particularly unique. What do I mean? Christ said in Matthew 24, he says this, you'll hear of wars, you'll hear of rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these, he said, are the beginning of the birth pains. So we have wars and rumors of wars, and then we have Israel. Scripture, both the Old and the New Testament, are are covered with God showing his heart for Israel and, and really his special hedge of protection around it. So as we begin to hear about this war that's taking place and that has been a, become official, what do we do? Well, I want to say this. Scripture says this. Do not fear. Do not fear. The Bible says over 100 times, do not fear. Ephesians 6.12 says this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the world, of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So do not fear. This is important. The next thing that we do, when when we hear of of issues like this, and it's especially important in our day today, listen to this. Know your source. Okay, know your source. The media is going to do everything that it can to make Israel look as if they are guilty, as if they are wrong, and as if they are the reason for any war that's taking place. But we need to be confident that Israel is God's chosen nation And we are called to pray for them. So that's the final thing that we're going to do. And Katie's going to begin to play play the music. And we must constantly be praying for Israel. Not when we all of a sudden hear of some war that's happening. We have to be constantly praying for Israel. And that's what we're going to do right now. Psalm 122.6 says this, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That comes straight from God's word. That's the psalmist David. The the psalmist essentially saying that this prayer for Israel is not an option. It's a requirement for those that are a Christian, a follower of Christ. So what we're going to do is we're going to take about 60 seconds right now. He's going to play. There's going to be music going. I want all of us to pray specifically for Israel, and then I'm going to close us, and then we'll hop right into the message, okay? Can we do that? All right, let's go to the Lord.
So God, as we approach your heavenly throne this morning, we do so with heavy hearts, knowing that your nation, your chosen ones, your chosen people are hurting. And God, we lift them up to you. You say to pray for them. God, we ask that you show your face to not just Israel, but to the world in this season in a radical way that no one can deny it was you. God, you also command us to forgive our enemies, and God, we do that. God, we continue to pray for peace, not just in Israel, but around the world. But we also pray that you give us peace in our souls. That we know that as we hear of wars and rumors of wars, that we are not afraid. Why? Because our life is in the palm of your hand. What a beautiful place to be. And God, for the soul that walked in here this morning that is fearful, that's wondering what, what's going to happen now, what's, what's next, how is this going to affect us, that, that Lord, they, they find assurance and trust in you as the King of Kings. Lord, the government rests on your shoulders. Help us to trust that. And God, as we look days, weeks, months, even years ahead, we look for you. We don't look at the problems in the world, but we put our focus on you, and we don't let anyone take that away. Now, God, as we dive into the message this morning on spiritual warfare, help it to not be taken lightly. Though we could be interested in hear about the spiritual realm and and really the physical presence of it and the way that it shows itself, that we fully understand the power of it and the power that it can have if we even give it a foothold into our life. God, protect us. Break chains this morning. Chains of addiction. Chains of lust. Chains of greed, of power. Break chains, any, any chains that aren't glorifying to you. And Lord, allow myself to become less so that you can become more. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you, Katie. Sorry for that last-minute change. <laughs> you know, it was a Tuesday afternoon, and I was locking up the doors at the church at Calvary where I previously was, and I was the last one there because I was putting together my sermon for the upcoming weekend, and I go to ensure that the front doors of the church that are overlooking the parking lot are, are all locked up before I head out back. And this is normal. I don't usually check the doors. <laughs> and as I am, I'm, I'm pressing on this, the front door, and I, and I look across the parking lot to the lake that was on the church property, and I see this man heaving things outside of his car into the lake. Now, this is on the church property. It looked like he was throwing brown paper bags. So, of course, being there by myself, what a great idea I had to go and approach this guy. I wanted to see what he was doing. You know, I was the only one there. What a safe, good idea to do that. However, once he saw me, he hopped in his car, and he sped right out of the parking lot. So then I kind of take a few steps back call the police. I'm like, hey. I wanted, to, I wanted to see what was happening. So I walk up, I, I go, after I get the police on the phone, I walk back up to his car, and 
And I look in the lake to see what he was doing. What was, what was he throwing in the lake? Headless chickens. Three of them floating in the water. So I decided, like I said, call the police. I made an informal report of the man dumping on our property, and, and then they transferred me over to animal control. Now, when I began to describe what happened to the lady from animal control, the, the, to, when I began to describe this to the lady that was working for animal control, she, she instantly knew what it was. She said, Pastor, what you just witnessed was a practice called Santeria. It's a form of voodooism where a religion decapitates an animal, primarily chickens, and then places them on a property where they wish to bring a curse upon. She made it clear, and these words are ring true to me today. It's been a couple years since this happened, and she said this. There is a reason that this person dumped these sacrifices on your church property. I don't know what that reason is, but there is a reason why they chose your church. So Hope, today we are going to be talking about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Now, I firmly believe that the enemy's primary focus is a church that is making a kingdom impact. Now, before we get into the text, we, we, need, to make it, we need to make this clear. There are huge discrepancies between what is and what is not spiritual warfare. Okay, as Christians, we, we so often tend to over-spiritualize that which is not spiritual at all. And then on the other hand, we tend to undermine what is actually of the spiritual realm and the impact that it makes on our everyday life. So some things that are not spiritual warfare. Going on a shopping spree, spending a majority of your money on designer clothes, and then coming to the end of the month and not having enough money to pay your bills. That's not spiritual warfare. That's the result of a bad decision. Spending the night out drinking, coming home late in the night, and then taking your anger out on your family or those close to you. That's not spiritual warfare. That's a bad decision. Willingly cheating on your spouse, leading to an affair, then divorce, causing life to spin out of control. That's the result of a bad decision. Now, some things that are spiritual warfare. The evil that is within our government. An unhealthy grasp for power where local and national political leaders tell voters what they will be given in return when really they don't give it at all. They just want the power. That's evil and that's a spiritual evil. An addiction that just can't be broken, impacting your mental health, your relationships, and your overall outlook on life. That's spiritual warfare. The sanctity of human life and the fact that it's now up in the air as to what we believe. The confusion that comes along with that when we know as Christians that we need to be not only taking hold of life inside the womb, but standing up for it. Any confusion that says otherwise is the result of spiritual warfare. Now, as you can see with just these few examples, and I'm sure each one of us have more in our own minds, now we're looking back, we're like, hmm, maybe that wasn't spiritual. Maybe I just shouldn't have bought that. 
You can see the difference here between spiritual warfare and the consequences of a bad decision. Now, as, as Hope Church, as we continue to change and, and as we continue to grow, and as we talked about the last couple of weeks, we're going to witness spiritual warfare right in front of our own eyes. Now, my prayer is that after today, or maybe with the help of this message, that, that we will not only be able to identify it, but also know what to do when we see it. Our text for this morning is going to be 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 17. Thank you for the slide. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 17. I'm going to be using the ESV. It's the English, English Standard Version. Um, there's also the NIV in the back of your chairs. Please, if you want to um, follow along with me, you might, know a li- you might notice a little bit of a difference if you use the Bibles in front of your chairs. Um, but for the most part, they're, they're the same idea. So 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 17, we'll start by reading verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there may be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Point number one, spiritual warfare always seeks to divide. Spiritual warfare always seeks to divide. Notice the important role of agreement here. Paul highlights the importance of agreement and unity very often throughout every one of his letters to a church. Whenever he rebukes or or tries to put a church back on, on track in his letters, he always highlights agreement. This is because the enemy knows that if he wants to do real damage, he has to start by breaking apart relationships. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says this, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. It's why his number one enemy is the family. It's why any sort of ungodly president or governor will pass laws that make biblical marriage more difficult and divorce easier and cheaper. We're even seeing Satan begin to bring division between our own souls and our flesh. With people in in record numbers falsely believing that God did not make them the correct gender. There's so much division today within our very own minds that it almost appears that there is no hope. But if he can't put division between you and your relationship, if, if he can put division between you and your relationship with Christ, he will divide up you and your relationship with your family, your friends, and, and even yourself. We're seeing an identity crisis today more than we have ever seen in the history of our country, if not the world. Record numbers of of people are no longer satisfied with their own identity, going as far as conducting transition surgeries to strip them of their God-made identity. They're no longer content with the way that they were born, and, and some are even stating that God did not intend them to make them that way. Not only is this doctrinally inaccurate because God does not make mistakes, but it is a representation of what happens when the enemy is given a foothold in the mind. 
When you're not able to stand firm on the truth of God's word, you, you open a door to allow the enemy into your mind, eventually falling into belief that God is not perfect and therefore not powerful. We are in the middle of witnessing Satan take hold of God's most valuable beings, those created in his very image, all because we are unaware of his greatest tactic, seeking to divide. But Paul reminds us that it's absolutely crucial that all believers agree, that we are all united in the same mind. Christ loves unity. Now, whatever Christ loves, Satan hates. Spiritual warfare seeks to divide. Spiritual warfare always seeks to divide. Let's keep going. Verse 11 through 16. Verse 11 through 16. If you're with me, say, I'm with, I'm with you, preacher. One more time. Thank you. Come on. 11 through 16. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and, and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I think this is funny. He puts in it's in parentheses in the ESV version. I did baptize all, also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. I look at them like, well, clearly he didn't have a backspace button. Like he could have. <laughs> Point number two, spiritual warfare attempts to take our eyes off Christ. Spiritual warfare attempts to take our eyes off Christ. You know, it's interesting that, that these two usually go hand in hand. Once we are cut off from the fellowship of other believers, our, our focus instantly shifts from the cross to our problems. And you don't even notice this until it's too late. That's why COVID wrecked havoc for so many people. Now, I'm not taking away from the harm that this virus has caused, but, but this virus was so blown out of proportion by the media, then, then the government forced everyone into their homes for some reason de deemed churches non-essential and made it law for people to not gather together. Friends, this is spiritual warfare. Once this began taking place, not only were all of us locked in our own homes and separated from fellowship of other believers, but then we, are, are, we took our eyes off of Christ and, and our trust in him was stripped away, putting them on our problem that was in front of us. And the next thing that you know, we're, we're falling victim to one of the enemy's greatest ploys, division from believers and diversion from the Savior. You see, anything that takes Christ out of the center of our focus is a spiritual attack. Anything that takes Christ out of the center of our focus is a spiritual attack. Not only does spiritual warfare seek to take our eyes off Christ, but it also strives to put our attention on ourselves. It's so subtle, yet it's so common, 
And I believe that we're all either guilty of it or a victim of it. It comes from church pulpits where, where pastors become more concerned with raising funds and their own ego rather than glorifying Christ. It comes from narcissistic spouses that care more about their own desires than they do their spouse, leading to depression and, and just downright disrespect. It comes from legalistic religion when, when someone will not budge on a certain area in the church only because it's the way that it's always been. Thankfully, there's victory in the name of Jesus, and he can take even the worst of problems, even death on a cross, and use it for his good and his glory. Thank you. Someone give me an amen. Come on. Amen. Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Point number three. Spiritual warfare seeks to strip Christians of their power. Spiritual warfare seeks to strip Christians of their power. Once the enemy can divide you, and once he can take your eyes off Christ, you become vulnerable kind of like a sheep without a shepherd. You'll notice that this, this happens very slowly. You'll, you'll see your st yourself start to fall into that lie that, that you don't need to go to church or that fellowship with, with other believers is not essential to our faith. And then you'll begin to quench the spirit of its power, suppressing his voice to the point that you could barely even recognize it anymore. About 10 years ago, I bore the consequences of this. I decided that when I was about 12 years old that I wanted nothing to do with church anymore. I began to do whatever I could to not go. I was playing sports. I was hanging out with friends. Whatever, whatever I could do to not go and participate in any sort of church activity. Now, doing this for months... It turned into years, and it didn't take long for me to find myself in church for a little more than a few times a year. I continued down this road for, for many years through, through high school and, and into college and, and eventually getting myself heavily into drugs and, and partying and, and grabbing a hold of whatever it was that I could find to satisfy that hole in my heart. I was there until one night I had gone too far. I was, I was partying as I, as I usually did, and, and I had taken quite a bit more drugs than I usually do, leading me to an overdose. Now, the, the, there are very few details that I can remember that night, but, but one of these details was, was waking up in the emergency room hospital bed to the doctor looking me right in the eyes and saying, son, you're so lucky that you're alive right now. With all the blood that you lost, with the drugs that you took, and the condition that you're in right now, you are lucky to be alive. I had stitches all over my body, I, all cut up and, and broken, both physically, spiritually, mentally. I was done. 
I was at the end of myself. You see, this is the result of trying to fight a spiritual battle without the king of kings on your side. It begins slow with just putting in your mind that you don't want to go to church this Sunday or that you don't need other Christians in your life to be a follower of Christ, or that, that you can do life on your own, or that your decisions are, are best made up for your own pleasure rather than for Christ's glory. It was about six months later that I was at college in my dorm room at Indiana University. The way I like to say it, this dorm room was no bigger than a closet. And then I opened up my Bible. Don't ask me why I had brought it. And I turned to the Gospel of Matthew. And it was then that I got on my knees and I, I gave my life to the Lord, praying to him to use me for whatever he desires because clearly what I'm doing isn't working. It's often a consistent pattern in our lives that God has to force us to our knees to the point that we have nowhere to look but up to realize where we receive our power, our identity, and the very center of our being. Psalm 121 says this, one of my favorite verses. I lift my eyes up to the hills. But where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Though spiritual warfare seeks to strip Christians of their very identity, we're able to look into the future, knowing that the battle is already won and that we can live our lives as victors, fully believing that Christ has won the ultimate victory over death. My friend, do you believe that? Are you living your life in the victory, no matter what this world throws at you? Let's pray. So God, we are so grateful that despite the circumstances of our world and our culture, that you have already won the battle, and that we get to join you in that. We can live a life with a posture of gratitude, knowing that this world is only temporary. As I've heard before, we're only passing through. And God, as we look, look ahead, help us to maintain that posture. Of course, put a hedge of protection around us from the enemy. But also, as you allow us to go through those valleys that, as we read in Psalm 23, that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that we just keep walking, knowing that we can share your victory. So God, we can't go on without saying thank you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth to die on that cross for our sins, rising again three days later so that through faith in him we can have eternal life. It's in his name we pray. Amen.